When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everybody and welcome to the Talking City podcast. My name is Dan Murphy and joining you today, or joining me today I should say, is Mr Simon Bukowski. Si, how's it going? Yeah, very well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. I've had my second jab yesterday, so I'm just wondering if those symptoms will hit me at any point. They've not yet. A bit of a sore arm, but apart from that, we're still fighting fit and uh, raring to talk about some City action. And also joining me today is Mr Tyrone Marshall. Ty, how's it going? Uh, very well, thank you, Dan. Very well. Good to hear you now fully, fully protected. It certainly am. It's good. It's good to finally be able to go into the world and uh, have no worries whatsoever. But I tell you, who did have some worries going into the world on Sunday? Manchester City certainly did, because they started their Premier League season with a defeat at Tottenham Hotspur. Only the third reigning Premier League champions ever to lose um, on the opening day of the season. Side. It was a uh, Strange game from City. They started the first 10 minutes like they were absolutely going to pummel Spurs. Really like kind of a City team we haven't seen for a few competitive games now. Um, Really on fire all over Tottenham. Had three or four chances in the first 10 minutes. But then they just faded away. Spurs fought their way back into it. And, um, you know, were brilliant from the uh, 10th minute onwards and really did deserve the 1-0 win courtesy of Sunken Min's um, brilliant second half strike. You were there, Si. How did you find the game and, you know, how... Is this a is this worrying for City going forward, or is it just a classic, you know, just like last season, a slow start blip? Um, were Spurs brilliant from the tenth minute onwards? I, 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 I thought don't know. So. I thought uh, so. I thought the um the really maybe not as in playing really good football, but as in kind of wrestling control of the game, putting City under City under pressure, and just not letting City have any more really good chances. I thought I don't remember um, City having much. Of any chances after that first kind of flurry in the first 10 minutes? Um, yeah, I thought City had probably four very good chances over the course of the match, probably three in the first half and then one in the second. You would expect them to be scoring at least two of those and probably eight times out of 10, they would score at least two of those and they'd win the game. So on the one hand, you can put it down to one of those kind of rare occasions when City, when they, when they lose, they tend to lose by having the best chances and not taking them and conceding the few chances that they do. On the other hand, they weren't as defensively secure as they need to be. And that was particularly disappointing given that it was the back four that have started all pre-season. It felt like pre-season is continuing for City, to be honest. It felt like the Leicester game. It felt like the, the friendlies at the, the training ground, it, it was almost kind of, they were just missing. It doesn't feel like they're back yet, really. There were sparks of it. Uh, Jack Grealish looked pretty good on debut. But other than that, it kind of felt like, yeah, like the season hasn't really got going. And uh, and Spurs took, took full advantage of that and took full advantage of a pretty shambolic performance from Benjamin Mendy and uh, and got the win. 
Yeah, I think what would be kind of be boring to me is that, yeah, you're right, it does feel very much like the Leicester game. I think what it also felt like was the Champions League final when City just again looked really flat. Um, City just looked really flat, where maybe had, I think the Torres one looked, was a kind of a good chance City had when he maybe showed, showed that kind of the lack of instincts you need for that central striker role. He could have flicked it um, with the back of his heel goal would, um, towards the goal, but then let it run. And I think it was maybe Sterling at the back post wasn't there. But like Ty, as you say, was is it a worrying trend? You know, this is the first time um, during Pep, since Pep Guardiola took over at City they haven't scored for three games in a row, and I think it's the first time they've lost three games to nil um, in a row since before um, the Abu Dhabi takeover. So, but is it a worrying trend? Or again, is it like we said last season? They started really slow. City they won, they managed to beat Wolves on that first day, but um, they weren't they didn't able, they weren't able to win two games in a row the last season until like the tenth or eleventh, tenth and eleventh game weeks so is it a, again just a case of as I said slow start pre-season still come in we still got a, you know it's a weakened City team Ake and Mendy especially after the performance on Sunday aren't going to start once Stones and Zinchenko are back in properly and Laporte as well or is it is it a bit of a more worrying concern you know it's, it's, um, kind of Guardiola's decision to start Sterling and not have a defensive midfielder in the Champions League final was quite shocking and has that maybe rocked City's confidence a bit maybe his confidence in him and his methods I don't know I don't want to go on panic stations on the first day but three games in a row that they've looked exactly the same yeah I I think it's easy to to kind of put those three together because they all finished 1-0 and come to to these sort of judgments but I think they're all so uniquely different as well that we should avoid reading too much into them um you know one was a, a massive final the biggest game in City's history where got it wrong. I think we can't accept he got it wrong. Last week, they were massively undercooked. This week, they were still undercooked. Not quite as raw, but still, you know, they certainly weren't well done. Um, you'd be standing your stake back, possibly still, if they came out like that. So, you know, I think there's still there's still work to be done in terms of fitness. And it, it was kind of like all the ducks were aligned for a Tottenham victory, to be honest. There was so much going against City. City hate going to that place. And Tottenham have a, a team at, at that ground that just seems to suit playing City. Nuno suits playing City. He's had success with Wolves against City on the counter-attack. There was the fitness factor. There was the Harry Kane factor, where all of those Tottenham players would be determined to prove a point to Kane and say, you know, you, you might want to be desperate to get out, but we're not all hopeless. We have dreams of winning our own trophies here. That, I'm sure, was a huge motivating factor to a lot of those players. So I think there was a lot lined up against City on Sunday. And you wouldn't want to read too much into it. I think it... You know, I think it fairly obviously showed that they, they could do with a striker and that, you know, they did brilliantly to win the league last year without any real contribution from Aguero or Jesus. I think it'd be even harder to do this year when United are probably going to get a full year from Cavani, Chelsea are going to get a full year from Lukaku. You know, it, it feels like a risk to go in with only Jesus basically as a striker. But then I think there's still confidence that they will get Kane in and that will sort things out. And, you know, I, I said last week that my, my biggest worry for City was was their start and, and how they were going to look come September and October because it's pretty clear their players are, aren't are up to full fitness and are behind where a lot of other teams are in the league. They had this problem last year and, and started slowly. It's no surprise that they, they have started slowly and might continue to start slowly again. And, you know, they should win this weekend. But after that, they've got more tough fixtures coming up and, they were able to make up ground last year because only United really challenged them. And then even United fell apart in, in January and February. I don't think we're expecting that to be the case this year. I think we're thinking it's going to be a much more competitive league. And 
City don't want to start so slowly that they find themselves having to make up as much ground as they did last year because it might not be as easy to do. Yeah, definitely. I think another thing that might have gone against City was the atmosphere at you know Tottenham Stadium. It's the first time they've had fans in there for you know like every um, every ground this uh, this opening weekend. Um, it's the first time they've had a full house in eighteen months, and it can't be you know many times they've actually had a full house in that stadium. It only opened obviously a couple of years ago. So how was the atmosphere for one? It looked great on telly, and it must be great to be despite the result. It must be great being back into a full crowd. But then again, how long do you think City have? need to kind of get back to full fitness. We'll talk about next week's match um, in a minute, but they've got like a nice one next up to kind of maybe get the ball rolling, although they did lose to Norwich, of course, last time they're in the Premier League. How long do you think they're going to need to get back going? Sterling was back. Everyone's back. Everyone's on the bench. They might not be off full fitness, but you know, only Foden is unavailable due to injury at the minute, I think. So how, how long do you reckon City are going to need to kind of get back up to speed? Yeah, firstly, the atmosphere was great. It was fantastic. You know, in, in the press box, couldn't really hear the colleagues next to me, which is always a good sign that the uh, the atmosphere is is good. I'm, I'm not necessarily sure it went against City, but it it helped Spurs when they were seeing the game out in the second half, and uh, it was just nice to have both home and away fans um, together, and just sort of be, being around, you know, the ground and three hours before a game, two hours before a game, an hour before, just feeling it build. And uh, and yeah, so hopefully that's a sign of of things to come. In terms of um, the starts of the season, I think Gladiola's kind of written off the first three games as they're not going to be at the best. But you've got Norwich, you've got a full week of training, and then you've got Norwich at home who you should beat. And then you've got a full week of training, and then you've got Arsenal at home who you should beat. So, you know, come back to me at the end of um of the month if they haven't got six points out of nine but really i think if they do get six points out of nine the the panic stations won't be won't be there leicester away is a crunch one when they come back after the international break because the players will all have been away and that will really test them to see sort of how how well they can be for sort of a tricky run of games that includes chelsea away and liverpool away i think by the start of October, so that that will be tough. But I, yeah, unless they slip up at home to Norwich or Arsenal, I don't really see it being a big issue because um, yeah, I think it, it's unfortunate for City that United have won convincingly on the opening day, Liverpool have won convincingly, but um, I seem to remember United battering Leeds last year and City losing at Spurs last year and there wasn't a title race between them. So like Ty said, everyone's expecting it to be more competitive this year, but we we, we just can't can't put too much on uh, on one game. Yeah, absolutely. But there was, like we said, there was a couple of bright sparks and probably the biggest tie was Jack Grealish on his debut. Kind of surprising, I think, that he played in the midfield role. We'd kind of speculated last week that he could eventually play there. But I think we all thought he'd play on the left with Raheem Sterling probably on the bench uh, on Sunday. But he, he went into midfield straight off which I found quite interesting. He looked good there. He looked, um, say, he was constantly on the ball, constantly driving forward. From what I see, he, say, he played well as a kind of an individual player on the ball, as you would do, as you'd want, as any fan would excited to see. But I don't know, again, as we speculated last week, if how he played, if Guardiola's going to have to get some training, some of these kind of 
uh, traits out of him. He's constantly getting on the ball, head down, try, at least tries to beat one person or win a foul, <laughs> as he um, so brilliantly did on numerous occasions. Um, if Guardiola's still going to have to teach a, uh, teach a lot of his usual playing style out of him, or if he wants Grealish to carry on doing what he wants to do. I'm, I'm intrigued to see where it develops, but say a good start, even if it wasn't a good result. Yeah, it was. And I was surprised to see him play in central midfield as well. I I think I said last week that I was excited at the possibility of seeing him and De Bruyne as, as number eights in, in some games. But I think we all expected him to play on the left, really. And I don't think any of us expected Sterling to start. Um, but yeah, it, it was a good start for him. In terms of how he changes his game, I mean, there'll be elements of his game that will have to change. I think that's always the way with when a new player comes into a Guardiola team. But I'm not sure I buy this theory that he have to change his game completely. I almost feel I almost feel dirty for mentioning this, but anyone who has the misfortune of reading Richard Keyes' blog or that reads it just for the pure comedy will have seen the pure drivel coming out yesterday about how uh, Guardiola was basically a busted flush and he's the only one still playing passing football and he's outdated one game into a season after they won the league by 10 points. And his view was that they've signed Grealish and now they've got to completely remould him, which is clearly nonsense. Otherwise, they wouldn't have signed him for £100 million. Whatever he was doing at Villa... Pep clearly quite likes and would like him to still do the same sort of things. Um, like we say, there will be elements of his game that have to change and adapt, but I think that's the case when any new player goes to any new team. And it, it was a, a promising start. The, his run in the first three minutes when he, he won that free kick, which was not far off from being a penalty, was was superb. And the kind of thing he can give City, that that line-breaking ability from a number eight position, the ability to, to run forward. And you, you might see that that combines... I completely forgot my words then, combines quite well with, with De Bruyne in those roles because De Bruyne is a real playmaker in that position and Grealish is more of a dribbler. And you see a scenario where Grealish is, the fans would be so concerned about Grealish's dribbling or De Bruyne's creativity that they just can't, they can't marshal both in a number eight position. It's going to create more space for, for City players. So, you know, I think we'll see a scenario where he plays, he plays in the front three and he plays as a number eight. It was certainly surprising to see him straight in as a number eight. I would say that's, it's probably a sign of the trust Guardiola does have in him because I would say it's harder to play a number eight in a City team than it is to play out wide and, and probably more more demanding in terms of what Pep wants from a player. So that's probably a sign of the, the trust he has in him. And yeah, I think you're right that he was the one the one real bright spark, especially on the back of, you know, basically a week and a day of, of training at City. He's, you know, he's had marginally more training than, than all his England counterparts and he's he's been thrown, thrown straight into a, a team like that and asked to try and almost win in the game, really. So, yeah, I think it was a very encouraging start. What did you reckon, Sarah? You saw him there in person. Did you kind of... How did you rate his performance, seeing it from the vantage point you had? Yeah, saw his calves up close. It was um good, good experience. Um, yeah, he was one of City's best players. Uh, I liked what he did uh, running at players and linking up with Sterling on the left. He kind of had... I don't know whether it was the tactics, but he... He drifted out to the left a lot from the middle, and I think City were pretty um, vacant in the middle a lot. Um, his selection in the middle kind of tells you a lot about Bernardo Silva's current position at the club. Um, Bernardo has been back for two weeks now, didn't start in the Community Shield, didn't start on on Sunday at Spurs. He, I mean, De Bruyne, De Bruyne has got fitness issues. De Bruyne has been back for two weeks and has not completed a single training session with with the club. Like, he's got one leg, he's got one ankle. So that's why De Bruyne can't play. But City have, 
have won a league title without De Bruyne by playing Bernardo in that position. Bernardo would have been the obvious player to um, to sit alongside Gundogan and and play. At. Or he could have played false nine like he has done a bit last season. The, the fact that he didn't play in either position and didn't come off the bench um, kind of reflects where he is at and where City are at, waiting for him to sort of come with a club who wants to buy him if he wants to leave and... Uh, and and cash in basically. So that that's kind of I think another reason why Grealish was thrown straight in in the middle because yeah De Bruyne was was not fully fit obviously and um, and Bernardo is in you know an an active situation in the in the transfer window I guess. So yeah, lots lots of good from from Grealish and uh, you would expect he will get some time out on the wings as well as uh, in the middle as well. Um, did anyone else impress? I thought Gundogan was decent. Other than that, no. Mares was very disappointing considering he's been so good in pre-season. Um, Ferran Torres was pretty anonymous up front. He he kind of has... He's never always involved in the game when he plays up front. He's a bit like Aguero pre-Guardiola. Um, but he does have this knack for scoring goals. But when you don't score goals, then... Um, it just looks like a pretty anonymous performance. Um, Mendy was really, really bad. Ake was not great. Uh, I don't think he was helped by having Mendy next to him. Uh, I thought Diaz was 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 good. I saw him trending at one point. A lot of people are very either convinced or hopeful that he's going to be found out this season. I thought he was very good other than the goal, which I don't think was all his fault, but it just looked a bit awkward with him. But he was often uh, clearing up a lot of mistakes that the left side of the defence were making. Um, but yeah, like just a, a poor general performance from City. But as Ty said, it's kind of to be expected when uh, they're, they're not quite there. An interesting insight into how Ty likes his stake as well. <laughs> you get yeah, all the news. It's not actually true because I do quite like it, medium rare myself. <laughs> but um, for the analogy, personally, didn't work. But I started down that road, so I had to go with it. Absolutely, had to go for the joke. Yeah, I think Mares was. Yeah, I say, I think we sort of spoke a lot last week's preview that Mares was the one that looked like he could really have a strong start to the season. You know, had a full pre-season, um, first time in a while and would probably want to be going all out before he has to leave in January for the Africa Cup of Nations. So it was disappointing, but I think we can all imagine Mares will come good. But I think, I don't think I can say the same, as I said, for Mendy and Ake. Like, Matt, it's a shame for Mendy, as we've said numerous times. He looked so good when he first arrived at the club and he's been completely derailed by injuries, but... He's had the longest injury-free spell since he joined the club currently. He had a full pre-season, as I said, started every game. If he wasn't going to play well now with so much finally going his way, Ty, I don't think he ever is going to, unfortunately. Um, and again, Ake is a good backup, a good kind of come-off-the-bench defender, maybe even good enough back three if Pep ever goes there again. But I just, he just doesn't look like he's cut out to be in a City back line. I think, yeah, those two... They had a chance to maybe stick a claim, can maybe keep their spot on the side, but I think both kind of failed and will probably be out by um, next weekend. Out of thought. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right about Ake. I think he's a probably a, a good squad player, and it, it's a good point that Sai made that throwing Ake and Mendy into the same team when they've not played a lot together, they've not played a lot of football generally in in competitive City fixtures, kind of unsettles the whole of the left side of the defence. The bigger concerns are obviously over Mendy. 
I think we said on the podcast that it, you know, we've used last chance saloon around Mendy so many times and it, it felt like we were in that position again in pre-season. He was back early. He had a real advantage. He did well against championship opponents playing in a more traditional left-back role, I guess, where you can just bomb forward, be a threat in the final third, not worry too much about your defending. But we know that Guardiola's fullbacks are have to generally have to play narrow or at least one of them has to play narrow I don't think that suits Mendy's game at all um so I wouldn't I wouldn't put all of the blame on him I think I think Guardiola's fullbacks since Mendy signed he's evolved how he uses his fullbacks and now it just doesn't suit Mendy as much as it did Mendy we talk about the start Mendy had in those first six or seven games before he got his injury but he was playing in a, a pure left back role maybe even a left wing back role where he was just constantly in the final third and he was a massive threat since then, Pep doesn't really do that with fullbacks, so it didn't really suit Mendy. If City were looking for left back now, and Mendy was doing what he was doing at Monaco, you rather wonder wonder whether City would even look at him because he's probably not an ideal candidate, and that he's not sort of a, a, a passing fullback like Cancelo or Sinchenko, and someone that can can sit in midfield and kind of di- dictate play and and control the game. Mendy, you know, I don't think anyone expects Mendy to control the game, so. Probably circumstances around the club and in how the team play have, have changed during his, his injury nightmares. But it did feel pretty obvious on um, Sunday that he's he's never going to be the answer at, at left-back anymore. Um, Sinchenko's a, a better option purely because he fulfills what Guardiola wants in terms of coming in field and, and providing a bit of control and, and stop stopping counter-attacks. And I don't think Mendy, Mendy offers that anymore. He offers more unpredictability. But I think... Guardiola's decided against unpredictability from from fullbacks generally to guard against the counter attack. So I think circumstances have dictated that that Mendy's days are probably done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as, as Joe said last week, um, when Mendy did play last year, it was left wing back with um, a back three behind him, so he always had cover, and he he looked all right. And then he was he could as you said he could bomb on, um, and he wouldn't get exposed as much going backwards. But I think. He came up against tough opposition in Lucas Morba, who are Steven Bergvine and Son, of course, the goal came from that side as well. He just absolutely ran him ragged. And I just I say, and especially in the back four, I, I don't think we'll be seeing much of Mendy in big games going forward. But kind of moving away from the game side and how this match kind of affects City in the transfer market going forward, you know, there's just less than two weeks of the window remaining. Before we move on to the man who's hardly been mentioned yet, surprisingly, um, the left back thing is weird. I don't imagine City will make a move for one this summer. It's been four years since they signed Mendy and they haven't signed a left back since because obviously Zinchenko's come in and Castello, who's a right back, has gone and played there and done really well. Both of them have. But neither are both, neither are natural left backs. And it seems like such a obvious position what could be significantly improved upon. City are usually so meticulous and well thought out with their squad planning and building. And it just feels like they've ignored this kind of issue when it would be quite easy to fix. Like They haven't looked at a left-back at all since the last summer transfer window when they were looking at Tagliafico but never really made that interest solid at all. And of course, the only one they've been linked with this summer has been uh, Nuno Mendes of Sporting, who <laughs> they have made abundantly clear they are not interested in, in the slightest. So, do you, do you, again, I don't think there's going to be a left-back signed this summer, but why? Are they just all focused on a striker? Surely they can, <laughs> surely they can do two things at once, like... Um, yeah, well, not to sort of plead poverty for them, but they can't afford to buy um, a left-back if they're going to buy Harry Kane on top of Jack Grealish. You know, you can't spend £250 million and then try and add a left-back on top of that. You know, the Mendes at Sporting, it, 
has got you know a lot of good reviews. Um, he people at City certainly think he's a good player, but um, are they going to pay the sort of money that Sporting want to um, to buy him? Certainly not this summer. I mean, I think you've got to look at Jack Grealish and Guardiola's comments about him and saying, you know, we I knew I wanted him as soon as I saw him play, but. It takes time sometimes for these players to become available and deals to be done. And certainly after spending the money that they did on Mendy, this promising uh, fullback um, that could have broken the mould and then it backfiring, you know, that sort of advises caution as well. There's been a range of things. They looked at uh, the left-back at Napoli and were sort of... Yeah. Uh, considering a January move for him in the 17-18 season. And then he, um, I think he did his ligaments in the Champions League game against them and then came back and did his ligaments again. And like you say, Talia Fico, there was interest in last season. So they have looked at left-backs, but it's just never been that strong a priority, in part because there have been other areas of the team to improve and in part because... um, that they've done very well with the players that they have got and that there aren't the players out there um, that you would sort of, that would strike you as being ready-made upgrades, really. So this, like Mendy is not first choice. Mendy is nowhere near first choice, but played because he was fit, basically, and the others weren't. Things should look very different when Zinchenko's there, Cancelo's there, Ake can play there a bit. So that is enough in in the eyes of the club to um, to not spend on left back this summer and to keep all sort of all action focused on adding Harry Kane to uh, to Grealish as the two the two major signings this summer. Well, speaking of Harry Kane, um, he didn't play. He wasn't involved at all, as we expected. Uh, on Sunday tie, but he wasn't even in the ground, or at least Sky Sports's numerous cameras couldn't pick him up. Um, it was a talking point throughout the match, um, as, as it has been throughout the whole summer. He wasn't there. He seems, you know, Gary Neville was saying that he thinks that means he's gone. It does seem, you know, co- coupled with the supposed late return to training, then not even turning up for his team's first game of the season. I think he's been in training uh, on Tuesday for the first time with his actual teammates following return to the country and being in isolation. Where and you know, Daniel Levy's been watching that game, seeing City get an XG of two point odd, not be able to score, seeing Torres and Sterling, and you know, same old story, missing good chances. And he must just be seeing the power time going up in his eyes, just knowing he could demand more and more as the minutes ticked on. Where where does City and Kane stand here? You know, it seems again, as I said last week, I just feel like it's just in an unassailable position there. I don't see how Levy relents and lets him go unless a massive, massive offer is made. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, it clearly reinforced City's need for Kane, which theoretically strengthens Tottenham's hand. But if they were suggesting, you know, if Levy turns around and says, well, that game shows you need him, sticking on the 20 million on, let's do it at 150, 160 million, then I just don't think it will happen. And given the way City reacted to the story last month, I think it was, that they were going to pay 160 million pounds, you know, I think it's pretty clear they're not going to pay £160 million. So maybe they go to 130 Maybe that's enough for Tottenham. Um, but, you know, it's one of those where I still, I think, I think it's probably, I think it's just about still likely to happen. Um, you know, the, the Tottenham fans' chance of, are you watching Harry Kane towards the end were, were pretty telling. Um, I'm not sure they'd be chanting that if they really thought he was going to 
come back in and, and be welcomed as as part of the family and, and one of their own again. You know, it's this whole training thing about how Kane's adamant he was never late for training. He was still, I think, the only England regular not to be involved at the weekend. So that's pretty damning on it on his part, really, that the rest of the England squad have managed to get themselves back in time and fit enough in time to at least be in matchday squads, and yet Kane hasn't. So, you know, however he wishes to paint it, there's clearly an issue there and a reason he's not turned up in time to make himself fit for the opening game. Obviously, it was an awkward opening game for him, given we know he wants to go to City and City wants him. So I guess that adds to it. If they were playing Burnley, maybe he'd have, have come back and made more of an effort or someone like that. But, you know, yeah, I think it, it's pretty clear that, you know, I, as much as it fit the narrative on Sunday that it showed how much... City need him. I think we already knew how much City need him. And I'm not sure it's really changed much in terms of what City will pay. I don't think City, knowing how they go about transfers, I don't think they'll have thought on Friday or thought on Saturday, we could pay 130 million for Kane. And then they've thought on Monday, we need to pay 150 million for Kane. I don't think that's how City work. And I don't think it would have had that kind of impact on their thinking. I think it's more likely to happen Still, because I think it's, you know, we said on, in, last week that Levy can be intransient, but he's taking a massive risk if he turns that sort of money down for a 28-year-old striker um, at the end of the day. And I think Kane's going to push for it because I'm not sure it'll happen next year necessarily. You know, he'll be 29 next year, two years left on his contract, but it, it's more of a, a risk when the, you know another year has passed when he's in his prime. So I think the conditions are there for it to happen in the next two weeks. And I still think it, it probably just about will happen in the next two weeks. And as I say, while it fit the narrative on, on Sunday, I'm not sure it will have theoretically changed that much. Yeah, I think the kind of the ironic thing is, is that Kane has definitely rushed himself back to matches when he was a lot less lot a lot less fit than he probably was on Sunday. But he decided to sit that one out, Si. Kind of quickly, what where do you rate the chances of it happening? They you know, give us a percentage of City being able to get him done in the last kind of couple of weeks now. Yeah, I still think it's more likely to happen than not probably 60, 65% chance if we're going to, if you're going to push me on a number, but... Um, I, I do, I do. <laughs> it just, I, I mean, yeah, like Ty was saying, City can kind of use the fact that they may not go for him next year if um, if he's not sold, because Tottenham are in, Tottenham have like all the, the power basically in the negotiations, because Kane's got three years left on his deal. And he's coming off the back of a very good season last season. So um, so City don't have many cards to play, but they do have a considerable chunk of money to, to, to send over to Tottenham's way. And they also have that one sort of card of, well, if you don't take this offer, we're not going to come back next summer. Um, Erling Haaland looked pretty good at the weekend as well, didn't he? So, Did um, he? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know, Haaland... Has basically been made unavailable this this summer because of his his price tag and Dortmund's stance on that. Um, but was certainly of serious interest to City a few months ago. And you know, I think if both were available, I think Haaland would be better value for the same price. So if Haaland is available next summer for significantly less, then uh, there there really is no question about who you would take out of. Out of him and Kane. So, uh, yeah, I mean, perhaps the fact that they've been in a room together, uh, City execs with Daniel Levy yesterday at the game, maybe that kind of will will push things along one way or or another because you sort of, you get a chance to to speak um, more, more openly and kind of better than on WhatsApp or over the phone or anything like that. So, 
yeah, I would I would still expect it to happen, but Daniel Levy is a tough negotiator, shall we say, and would be perfectly within his rights to um to keep Kane because you know City's threat of going elsewhere next summer would just mean that Kane stays at Tottenham for longer. So, you know, it, I'm sure Levy wouldn't mind that. Um, so, yeah, still still work to be done to uh, to close the the gap in valuations. Um, but there is still kind of plenty of people confident that that gap will be will be bridged before the transfer window ends. Well, I'd be certainly interested to see how the next couple of weeks play out. Um, very quickly, as I said, City, go, um, welcome Norwich City back to the Etihad uh, on Saturday, I think they're playing. It's going to be a full Etihad for the first time, um, as we said, in, since March 2020. It's it couldn't They couldn't have wished for a more comfortable match, shall we say, after, you know, to bounce back from a defeat tie. Very quickly, what are um, your, your predictions for the match? I'd say I think it'd be a routine win. And like you say, it's, it's ideal, really, that you can build players up to, to match fitness here. I think it's pretty clear that City don't need to be at 100% to beat Norwich at home. They can probably play at 60% fitness and beat Norwich at home. So it, it, it works better for them. They'd probably have quite liked this to have been their first game of the season rather than their second. And with what coming up, with what's coming up, that they'd be grateful that it's at least slotted in there to, to get them back up to speed. So yeah, I think we'll see more minutes in, in key players. It's almost, I don't want to be disrespectful to Norwich, but obviously what I'm about to say is going to be, I've been prefaced it without warning, but it, it is basically just like a slightly more competitive pre-season friendly, really, isn't it? Given the gulf between the team that win the Premier League and reach the Champions League final and a team that's just been promoted. You know, that's just... This league's incredibly competitive at the top and can be incredibly competitive at the bottom. Let's not forget City lost at Norwich two years ago. But at the Etihad, you'd think it's a different kettle of fish and City should be able to play at 60 70% and, and get the job done. Even if it's not a 5 6 nil thumping, they'll probably take a 2 nil routine win if it gets match fitness into players. Can I get a score out here? Uh, 3 nil. Belt it and so, yeah, what do you reckon? I think, do you think we'll see a few more of the players who've just returned from to action back involved? Um, you know, your Stones, your Walkers and the likes coming back into play, Jesus as well. Yeah, it, exactly what Ty said, basically. But yeah, it, to players coming back, uh, you would think John Stones uh, and Laporte both come back very well and a fit and are coming off the back of very good summers personally. So they'll be back. Walker will be fit. No, no issues about him. And then Rodri even um, could come back in for Fernandinho because Fernandinho kind of faded a bit. As uh, he struggled without, we wait and see on Gundogan's injury. But you know, Bernardo is is fit and available if picked, um, and Jesus as well could could come in. But Guardiola does have faith in Torres, and Torres certainly seems to be above Jesus in the in the pecking order at the at the minute. But yeah, uh, Sterling looks pretty bright as well. Um, to say he'd only trained for a week, so there's uh, yeah, you would expect a, a strongish team. Uh, certainly stronger than against Tottenham and a, a routine win, even if, yeah, it's not a fully polished performance. What score do you reckon? Uh, I'd go 2-0. Two, two right, and I'll, I'll go 4-0 just to keep everything interesting. But that is all we have time for today. Dear listener, thank you very much for tuning in. And um, Of course, you can go over to the Manchester Evening News forward slash Manchester City for all the latest as the... The transfer deadline day looms ever closer. Will City get Kane over the line? Only time will tell. And of course, we'll have all the action brought to you um, as it happens on Saturday when City take on Norwich. Again, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. ta